0: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous day. Today is amazing. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page, where I take my coffee, right here. Mm. In the beginning, God created coffee, and he saw that it was good. Amen. It is. Jesus loves me. He made coffee. Uh, we're go- And today, we're going to be finishing up Exodus, our second Old Testament book. Oh, my goodness. The end of a chapter, getting ready to launch into the next chapter of the story of Israel. It has been quite the journey out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, where God has given them the Ten Commandments. Think about all the things that we have covered here. We've talked about uh, in this book, um, God has led me to think about things uh, like signs and wonders, um, the purpose of signs and wonders in our lives. Um, It led me to think about the Ten Commandments, how it's a covenantal relationship type document, like a marriage agreement, a marriage agreement. Commitment. If I'm truly the Lord your God and we have a relationship, you and I, you will have no other God in the same room with me. It's really kind of neat. And God makes his covenant with Israel, and he's brought them out of Egypt, already starting to have some problems with them, but he's faithful to his covenant. He's spoken with Moses. They've got the Ten Commandments, he's given Moses the directions about the tabernacle how to make each individual part. We've talked about uh, the pieces of furniture that are in the tabernacle, and we'll just review them briefly here. And uh, then he's getting ready to launch them into the next journey. But before we get to that, let's just look at what we have here in the tabernacle. You have the uh, brazen altar here at the entrance. You see the entrance here the where the little purple line here, that's like a curtain. Um, you have the brazen altar. That's that's as far as the non-priest can go. That is where sacrifice is made on behalf of the non-priest. The priest represents God to the non-priest and represents the non-priest to God. The priest is the intermediary. Behind that, you have what's called the bronze basin. Uh, this was made out of the mirrors that they took out of Egypt when they left. And this is where the priests washed their hands and their feet before... They worked at the brazen altar or before they go into the tent. So this becomes a very important piece of furniture. This is actually the pivotal piece of furniture because you have to go here before you go anywhere else. And this is the word of God. This is a picture of the word of God. We've talked about how the tabernacle is a, uh, a picture of the real thing and not the structure, but the function of the tabernacle is a picture of the real thing. The tabernacle is all about how, demonstrating how God wants to relate to his people, how God has relationship with his people, and especially to the priests. The non-priest, they have access to God, but they go through the priest. Now, the priest goes inside the tent, and he comes in and to his right, which is up here at the top, is a table of showbread. That's where they put out the loaves of pierced loaves, uh, one for each tribe of Israel, two two rows of six. And the priests share these loaves on the Sabbath with each other. This is a picture of the fellowship of the priests together in the church. On the other side of the tent is the lampstand made out of gold. It's got wicks and oil. This is a picture symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's ministries, its giftings, it's gifted individuals. Um, the fact that the lampstand is the only source of light in this tent. The Holy Spirit is the only source of illumination for the priest, for the believer. The Holy Spirit shines its light and gives us understanding in every area of our lives. Then at the front here, continue up here, you, you see the altar of incense. This represents the praise and the prayers of God's people special kind of incense here. Uh, it would fill up the Holy of Holies, which is the back room, and the holy place, the front room. And when the priests would be in there ministering to either each other, to God, when they go back out, they smell like God smelled. It would, for a time, the aroma would cling to their robes and you they would walk by and you could smell that special fragrance and know that they had been in the presence of God. And then in the back room, the holiest place. We have the holy place in the front, holiest place, or holy of holies, if you will. The Ark of the Covenant's there. It's a box made out of acacia wood covered with gold. And in that box eventually would reside the stone tablets that God wrote the law on, a jar of manna, and the uh, Aaron's rod that budded. And on top of that would be what's called the mercy seat and it would have two cherubim on it. And this is a picture of how the fact that even over the law, God values mercy, which is good because we can't keep the law. We cannot keep the law to the extent that we would be perfect and acceptable to God. God grants us mercy at the mercy seat. So that's the tabernacle. That's the basic layout. So now let's just get right over to uh, chapter 40 and let's read it and uh, have a few thoughts and then we'll get ready to launch ourselves into Leviticus next week. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. This is approximately nine months after they came to Sinai, after defeating Pharaoh. Place the Ark of the Covenant law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. All right, so there's a curtain that goes between the Ark of the Covenant and the rest of it. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant. There it is right up here in the front. And put the curtain of the entrance at the entrance to the tabernacle. Now place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics, anoint them just as you anointed their father so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached the poles to the ark, and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the Ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the Ark of the covenant law as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the Tent of Meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the Tent of Meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in front of the meeting. In fr- I'm sorry, Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain, and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing, and Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting, or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. That is the brazen altar. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar, and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard, and so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. All right, here's a little article that I read. I thought it summarized things rather beautifully. The glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle brings the book of Exodus to a climactic ending. God, who had brought Israel out of Egypt, has made and renewed his covenant with them and made his dwelling in their midst. After 400 years of separation from God, being molded into a people in Egypt, God now makes his abode with them. He resides with Israel now. This passage also indicates that Israel has begun corporate worship. The history of God's guidance to the promised land will follow in the remainder of the Pentateuch. So in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. All right, this is an important thought. Israel's journeys are linked to the guiding presence of God. The covenant God dwells among his people at last and will lead the nation to the land he promised them. There's a song called um, Wayfaring Stranger, and I love it. I'm going to play part of it for you. It's an old, old bluegrass standard. I am a poor and stranger Traveling through this world below There ain't no sickness No toil, no danger That bright land I'm going to I'm going there To see my mother I'm going there No more to roam I'm only going Over Jordan Only going Over home Now that song is taken from the story of Israel traveling to the Promised Land. God has covenanted with Israel that he would be their God. And that he would take them to the land he promised. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is a God of his word. He is a covenant-keeping God. Now, he's made this covenant with Israel. He's promised them the promised land. He's going to take them there. Does that mean their problems are over? Does that mean that uh, they're not going to cause God trouble? Well, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that's just not true. They are going to give God lots of trouble. But God keeps his covenant with the nation of Israel. But this does not guarantee that he will not discipline or punish disobedience. But I'm not going to get any further. When we get to the book of Numbers, we'll find out how all that plays out. But the picture I want to draw from this is that we are, are in a covenantal relationship with God, you and I as believers. This is a picture of that. Exodus, this, this, what we just read is a picture of that. God dwells with us. We're the tabernacle now. We are where God dwells. God dwells in our hearts. And what we see happening in the tabernacle is a picture of the truth that's happening in us. God's presence dwells in us. He will guide us. Now, the fact that we are in a covenant relationship with him, does that recuse us from being disciplined or punished? Does that give us freedom to do whatever we want? Because I'm in a covenant relationship with God. I can do what I want, go where I want, say what I want. No, no. Paul says in Galatians, he says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Heaven forbid. The truth of the matter is this. If you are in a true relationship with God, that will not be your attitude. Um, The foundation of this covenantal relationship with God is that word relationship. If my wife and I never talked, had no intimacy whatsoever, we resided at the same house and people who lived outside our house, they would see my wife and I coming and going and we would look like we're a couple. We're sharing the same house. We look like we're married, but are we really married? If there's no communication, if there's no intimacy, I mean, if I never talked to her, if I never interacted with her in any way, shape or form, is there really a, a marriage there? I would say No yet there are many, many people who go to church and do churchy type things, give money, volunteer here, there, and everywhere, but there's no daily interaction with God. My question to them would be, look to your salvation. Is there conversation going on between you and God? Are you reading the letters he wrote to you? By the way, that's called the Bible. Are you uh are you in relationship with the God of the universe? Is there no other god in the same room with you and he? Sometimes that god looked like a job. Sometimes that other god will look like an, an illicit relationship. You know, there's, God had a covenant with Israel, but he still dealt with these rebellious, this rebellious generation. Like I said, I'm, that's a tease. I'm sure you know where it's gonna go. If you've read the Old Testament, you know what happens next. But I'm not gonna ruin it for you. We'll get to that when we get to it. This is a picture of how God relates to us. God has pulled Israel out of Egypt. That's a picture of the salvation that God brings. When God brought salvation into my life, he pulled me from one world into the next. He delivered me. And like that song, Wayfaring Stranger, I'm looking forward to the time when I see the fruit of that covenant where, my, where I enter the promised land, which is heaven, the presence of God. I'm wandering in Egypt. I'm wandering outside of Egypt. I'm wandering in the wilderness now. I will go to the promised land that he has covenanted me with me about. He's promised me. He's, his covenant with me is based on these words. God so loved the world. Oh, let me make it more personal. God so loved Page that he gave Page, that he gave his only begotten son, that if Paige would believe in him, Page would not perish but have everlasting life. Paul goes on to say that if you declare his lordship with your lips, with your mouth, with your life, and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead on the third day, you're saved, you're in that covenantal relationship. And you may be very well in the midst of people who look churchy, act churchy, but they're not talking to God, they're not reading his word. And I don't want this come off sounding all legalistic, like you gotta read the Bible and pray to be saved. No, no. If you're saved, you'll be reading the Bible and praying. I know that sounds like semantics. But here's the truth of it. When I courted my wife and she said yes to me and we got married, I altered my lifestyle. I altered my life. I no longer chase after other women. I no longer chase a lifestyle that would grieve her. I changed my life because I love her. I didn't change my life to get her. When she said yes to me, I started to change my life in response to the love that this incredible woman gives me, to the grace she extends me. I changed my life. And our entire marriage, I have been changing my life. Why? To win her approval? No, I've already got her approval. She already loves me. I do it because I love her. And the last thing I want to do is grieve my wife. Well, as a believer, the last thing I want to do is grieve my God. I'm still dealing with sin. There are things in my life that make me angry and ashamed about me. I said before, I don't think a day goes by where I'm not saying, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. Something I say or do or something that's brought back up in my memory I'm pursuing God still. I still pursue my wife. We've been married. It'll be, let's see, 624. It'll be 47 years this next June. I'm still pursuing her because she's worth pursuing. So this is a wonderful way to close down the book of Exodus. God is dwelling with his people. God, if you're a believer, is dwelling with you. Ah, good stuff. Good stuff. Next week, we start talking about uh, seeing if we can pull some application out of all these sacrifices and sin offerings and bird offerings and guilt offerings and all these different kind of offerings. It's going to be fun. I'm done. I love Exodus. We finished Genesis and Exodus. Can you believe it? I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here.